Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. So we're on this quest, like we want to live well, we want to live a life that we're proud of, but what we have found in life is that living well is harder than we thought. And amidst the whirlwind of it all, trying to figure out how to manage money, work, relationships, all the things, it can be challenging to live a life that when we look back, we, we think, oh, I'm, I'm proud of that life. That was, a, that was a good life. That was a life that honored God. So what we're doing is we're looking to God's wisdom as our compass and specifically his word in the book of Proverbs as our map to reveal the way that we should go so that in the end we can say we lived well. And even more than that, God is glorified. And one of the questions that we've asked again and again throughout this series is this, what is the wise thing to do? We can ask this Really, whatever life throws our direction, this can be a filter to discern the wise way to go. And we've already looked at what the what answering this question would look like in a few different areas of life. The the way we should go, the character we should have, the romantic relationships that we should embrace, and last time even how to parent our kids. Now, if you're trying to navigate one of those areas of life and you weren't able to be with us on that Sunday, I want to let you know you can always catch up on our YouTube channel or podcast, which is super easy to find in our app. But today we're going to be looking at answering this question, except in a different area. An area of life that consumes most of our time, especially our waking hours. And we're going to answer, what is the wise thing to do when it comes to work? Because... This is how we spend our days, whether it's at an office or around the house. It could be in a classroom. It could be outside. Work is what we do most of the time. So how do we win at work? Well, as we've seen in these other areas of life, God's word has a lot to say about this. And we're going to learn from his word, from his wisdom, as to what is the wise thing to do when it comes to work. Now, the easiest way to follow along would be our church app because there's a bunch of scriptures that we're going to be looking at together today. Uh, so you can follow along there, take notes. But if, you wanna, if you're up for a challenge and you want to like test your scripture searching skills, I'm just going to give you a head start. We're starting in Proverbs 12, verse 11, here in just a second. Now, from the first chapter of scripture, we see that God created us as a, as a people to work. It's one of the things that we're supposed to do. But as has happened with the rest of God's perfect creation, sin has broken work for us. Work is now marred by sin. This is why work is painful and toilsome and hard. We have misplaced priorities and unhealthy work rhythms, all because of how sin has impacted work. Now, we try to do a couple of things because of this problem that we face with our work. One thing that we try to do is we'll try to escape work. Could be binging Netflix every night or longing for that next vacation or finally retiring one day. Another thing we'll do is we will overwork. We'll take on more and more responsibilities because it makes us feel significant. 
or we'll work longer and longer hours to mask some other pain we're feeling. Now, whether it's trying to escape work or whether it's overworking, both of these aren't healthy solutions to our work problem. But God's Word does reveal a way that we can live well when it comes to work. In fact, God designed work as a good thing. It's not a bad thing that that we should escape or the ultimate thing that we should pursue with everything that we are. Work is a good thing. And in its proper context, it can actually be a way that we express our relationship with God. Now, we're going to start in Proverbs 12, 11 here in just a second. But before we dive into his word, let's just go before him in prayer and ask him to speak. Lord, we come before you and we want to hear from you. Uh, you created us to work, but so many days it feel, we feel the brokenness of work. So would you help us to work in a way that honors you and is good for us and others? Please reveal your wisdom to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first thing that Proverbs is going to reveal to us when it comes to winning at work is this. We got to do something, not nothing. Proverbs 12, 11 says this, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. We all have dreams, dreams of the future. It could be our future family, could be the impact that we hope to have. Uh, it could be a, a startup, like a, a business or a nonprofit that has a, a really meaningful purpose behind it. I don't know what your dream is, but back in 2010, excuse me, my dream was to start a church one day. Now, we've all got these dreams, but how do we know if our dream is worth pursuing and it's not a fantasy that we're chasing? Because after all, we just read, those who chase fantasies have no sense. We don't want to waste our life, so how do we know if we should pursue the dream that's on our hearts? Now, what I wish we could do is I wish we could sit down over coffee, and I wish we could just like talk about your dream together. But we certainly can't do that right now, and who knows if there's enough time for that in a week. So what I want to do is I want to kind of outline some plumb lines that you could use as you're discerning, hey, is my dream a God-given dream, or is this a fantasy that I, I shouldn't be chasing? All right. And the first plumb line is this. God-given dreams will align with God's will revealed in his word. It's, they're always going to reveal, they're always going to align with God's will. And he reveals his will in his word because he's not going to call us to something new that contradicts something that he once said. Now, what could this mean? Well, Maybe your goal is to start a business because you want to make a ton of money and then you want to just check out, kick back on a beach in the Caribbean. That sounds awesome, okay? But I don't think it's a God-given dream, at least if your motive is to check out. Because what we see time and time again in Scripture is that God has called us as His people to engage the world with the redemptive power of the gospel with the mission that Jesus has given us. Now, on the other hand, maybe you have a a vision or a dream to start a new business, all right? And you're going to employ people who are coming out of lockup, and your hope is to give them a restart and help them get back on their feet and establish themselves back in society. You know, that might be a God-given dream because Scripture reveals time and again, God has a heart for the marginalized for the down and out, 
for the outcast. So, God-given dreams are going to align with God's will as revealed in His Word. And the second plumb line is this. God-given dreams are unique to you, but they're way bigger than you. You see, also in Scripture, something we see is that God has created each of us uniquely. He's given us a certain personality, some strengths, some weaknesses, uh, past experiences. We, we have all of these things. And then what God does is He empowers us by His Spirit to go make a meaningful difference in the world. He's created you to have a different impact than you, to have a different impact than you, to have a different impact than you, and that you're going to have a different impact than me. We all have a unique part to play in God's unfolding story. So God's going to factor in who he created us to be when it comes to pursuing the dreams he's put on our heart. But something about God-given dreams is that they're God-given. They're way bigger than us. Like if, if we could do it by our own strength, it's not a God-given dream because God-given dreams are God-sized. God has to show up to see a God-given dream come about because he is far more interested in who we are becoming than what we are accomplishing for him. Sit in that for a second because some of us were so driven to achieve, to succeed, God's actually more interested in who we're becoming in a relationship with him than anything we're accomplishing, as good as it may be. Now, the third plumb line for a God-given dream is this. God-given dreams will be confirmed by God's people around you. In Scripture, we see that God used Samuel to anoint David as the next king of Israel. And then when David went the wrong way, God used Nathan to redirect David to get him back on the path. In the New Testament, we see Barnabas encourage Paul, and then Paul developed Timothy. And as God has done throughout history, he's going to do in our story too. He's going to use the people around us to help us discern God's voice in our life. And if the dream that we're pursuing is in fact a God-given dream. So if you're, you're sitting there and you're wondering, okay, like, is my dream a God-given dream? Is this something I should pursue? Or is this some fantasy that I just need to move on from? Ask yourself these questions. Does my dream align with God's will as revealed in his word? Is the dream unique to me and at the same time far bigger than me? What are the people around me saying about God's will for me? As you process that, I would encourage you to do that in prayer and see what the Holy Spirit says. See how you, you felt led. And then, yeah, talk about it with somebody. But if we, if we just dream about it and we don't ever do anything with it, we're going to probably miss out. You could be listening to this and you're like, I thought we were talking about like work. And this could feel like a tangent at first from a message on God's design for work. But I wanted to take a moment to talk through God-given dreams because if we find ourselves pursuing something, working our entire life for something, only to then later realize that we missed the mark, like our life is a tangent from God's best for us, that would really stink. 
So that's why if we do the hard work on the front end to discern what is God calling us to, then we can pour ourselves into it with all that we are and with all God's power moving through us. Now, we don't have to run down a rabbit trail chasing a fantasy or anything for that matter because what we learn in Proverbs 12, 11 is that we shouldn't just dream it, we got to do it. It says, those who work their land will have abundant food. We can have the best of intentions, but if we don't do anything about it, we're not going to really make any progress. They're fruitless. Uh, we can even have the best conversations, but talk without action is empty. As we see in Proverbs 14, 23, it says this, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Some will fail to realize their God-given dreams because while it is a God-given dream, they're, they're stuck talking about it. They might have great coffee conversations, great dinner conversations, great journal time, but it's all stuck in the realm of conversation. And there's nothing wrong with talking about it, right? That's part of discerning, is this a God-given dream? But talk without action is empty. It's, it's the acting upon what God's called us to act upon that we start to experience something that we want to share with others. Now, this isn't going to be our story, like, like wasting our life, focusing on the wrong thing, or, or even just talking about the right thing. Because what we now know is that we shouldn't do nothing. We, we need to do something. But how do we go about this? Like, if we're to win at work and we, we're pursuing a God-given dream, what would that look like? Like, how would we be living? And this to the second principle. Do it diligently, not lazily. Proverbs 13, 4 teaches us this. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Okay, this proverb reveals something that, that we all know, but we hate to admit. Diligence and discipline are what lead to success and satisfaction. And we know this, but have you ever like looked around and thought, why, why are they satisfied, but I'm not? Why are they pursuing a, a great dream, but, but I'm not? We could have a dream. It could be a, a dream for our home and what our home is gonna look like with our family. It could be a, a dream about a difference that we wanna make in the world. It could be a multitude of things. And we have this incredible dream, but we hate to admit it, our lives are characterized a little bit more by laziness than they are by diligence. Uh, we need to prepare for the presentation. It's coming up, it's tomorrow, but we decided, you know what, I'm just gonna kinda answer email today because that felt really productive in the moment. And then at the end of the day, we look back and we're like, oh man, I did not accomplish what I needed to accomplish. Or maybe uh, you got a baby on the way. We got a baby on the way, okay? Maybe you need to prepare the nursery. Like you gotta get it ready, baby's coming. But instead you take the day to clean the kitchen again and again, because well, there's an, a, immediate gratification to it, but we're still not ready for baby to arrive. Diligence is the discipline to do the important thing, even when 
it's the hard thing. We need more diligence in our life, don't we? Proverbs 12, 24 paints a stark picture. It contrasts the diligent and the lazy. And it says this, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. I heard something in a podcast recently. I think Craig Groeschel, pastor uh, from Oklahoma, was being interviewed. And he said, the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people, and this is what he had to say. He said, successful people do consistently what unsuccessful people do occasionally. It's about diligence. The discipline of doing that important thing again and again and again that starts to lead to the the dream that we have. Now, I don't know about you, but the overnight success story that I read about online or maybe I hear about in a podcast, what I find is that it both inspires me to like dream bigger and it also makes me impatient. Like how come that's not my story? Why didn't my video go viral? Why isn't my thing on a J curve? Sometimes what, what helps is to acknowledge the tension that we feel in life. And I think the tension is this. We live in a microwave culture, but we serve a crockpot God. God doesn't just want the work done. He cares about who we're becoming in the process. And there's something about it, whether uh, whatever, whatever it is that we're pursuing, there's something about like working at the thing again and again and again and again that God uses to refine us, to form us, to transform us. It's tempting to want to fast forward the little kid years, to accelerate the startup, uh, to fast track the degree program, whatever it is. It's it's normal, it's natural to like want to like fast forward the pace of life. I've been guilty of all those things. But when we do that, we can miss what's going on along the way. You see, the joy is in the journey. So if you, if you find that tension, like you're like, oh, I want to go faster, I want more, whatever it is, ask yourself, what are you learning about God in the process? Who are you getting to like do this thing with along the way? How are you being refined through the daily grind? What we're getting at is we should do the thing, whatever that thing is that we do with our days, around the house, in the office, wherever it is. We should do the thing. We should do it diligently. But we shouldn't try to speed it up. We should soak it up. Enjoy the journey. See what God's doing in the process. So here's what, to recap kind of what we've covered so far, right? We talked about what we're doing. We're doing something, not nothing, okay? We've also talked about how we're going to go about doing it. Doing it diligently, not lazily. But I got to tell you something. We can do all that And if we don't adequately answer and apply this next question, it's all meaningless, totally meaningless. Why do we work? Like, why? Why do you get up? Why do you get in the car? Why do you go? Why do we work? Sure, we got to make money. We need to provide for our families. Maybe you want to advance in your career. These are all fine reasons to work. They're just not sufficient. But because before money, before kids, before careers, God 
created us to work. So why do we work? Paul answers this question in a letter that he wrote to the church in Colossae. And he had just outlined who Jesus is. And he's now talking about if you have a relationship with Jesus, this is how it impacts your life, like your daily life. Because Jesus is supreme, because Jesus is sufficient, this is what it means for your work. Turn with me to Colossians 3. This is verses 23 and 24. Paul writes this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So the third principle we learn here about winning at work is this. We got to do it for God, not for others. Uh, Work is actually a way that we worship. It should be an overflow of our relationship with God. It's one of the ways we we demonstrate to the world that we're following Him. Uh, This could look a couple different ways. Maybe uh, you work with such great integrity at the office that you'll do the right thing, even when your boss isn't looking. Now, your boss might never know, but God is glorified because you're following him in that. Or maybe you're working around the house or the apartment and you do the dishes always. Like your roommates, they never do the dishes. And here you are, you're doing the dishes, all right? And they don't even acknowledge that you do the dishes. They just fill the sink back up again. Well, when you diligently do that, and joyfully do that, it's honoring to God. Because the way we work should be a way we worship. Jesus, Jesus redeems us. We know that. We, that's the gospel. Like, like we were sinners. We were separated from God. But Jesus invites us into a relationship with God. He invites us to receive forgiveness for our sins. And we can experience life with God. Well, just like Jesus redeems us, he also redeems our work. Our identity is in him, not what we do. So we can do what we do for him and and not for ourselves or others. Jesus brings meaning to the mundane. Uh, We're freed from the pressure to perform. No longer do we have to do what we do for the applause of others. Instead, we can do what we do as a way that we praise God. And because our identity isn't wrapped up in what we do, we can rest. We can rest guilt-free, shame-free. We can rest from our work because God rested from his work and he instructs us to do the same. Because when we rest from our work, what we're saying is, God, you got this one. You're in control. You got it covered. I'm going to take this day off. I'm going to be present with you. I'm going to be present with those around me. This is a good news. This is a good news. Like the gospel changes how we live. We don't have to perform We don't have to have misplaced priorities. We don't have to have unhealthy rhythms. But we can go about what we do in a way that honors God. Now, our human solutions to the brokenness of work, whether it's trying to escape work or overworking, we know that 
these aren't healthy. We know they aren't sustainable. But Jesus gives us hope. He redeems our work. With a secure identity in him, we can do what we do for something greater, for someone greater. Now, what this means for me personally is that whether there are dozens in the room or thousands in the room, I'm going to preach passionately. For you, it might mean that if you're managing the logistics for a project, whether it's a multi-million dollar deal or a small side job, you're going to do it with such diligence because you represent a God who cares about the details. Or maybe, maybe you're a room mom for your kid's class and you want to make sure every kid feels celebrated at the, the, the party. But you're going to do it and you're going to do your best to make that happen, to create that environment. Not because you want to win favor with the teachers or the other parents. No, you're doing it because you know everyone matters to God. And you're doing it for Him. Whether you're studying for the exam, you're writing website copy, you're closing the deal, cooking a meal, whatever it is, do it all for the glory of God. Because here's what we've learned together today. We gotta do something, not nothing. We gotta do it diligently, not lazily. We gotta do it for God, not others. Or said a different way, to win at work, work it, work it again, and work it as worship. Because when we live this way, we're not just going to provide, though we need to provide. We're going to live a life of purpose and meaning. We're not just going to make money. We're going to work meaningfully. And if you did even just a, a quick look at Jesus' life and what work looked like for him during his time here on earth, what we would very quickly see is that for Jesus, it has a whole lot more to do with the people than the project, the, the transformation than the task. So let me close with this charge from Paul. He says this, in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me pray for us. Lord, would you help us to live this out? Would you help us to work as a demonstration of our worship for you, towards you? Um, would you heal us from how the brokenness of work may have hurt us or maybe even hurt those around us? Instead of trying to escape it, instead of trying to overwork it, would you help us to view work as you view work? And in so doing, would we grow in our relationship with you and in relationship with others because we're loving well and we're living well too. We ask this in your name, Jesus.